Welcome, everyone, to the fourth episode of the finally titled 49ers Future Podcast. There's a surprise announcement for everybody. We did finally settle on a name. Uh, we decided against doing a vote as there were just, you know, too few suggestions at the time that we we made the decision. Then after we decided on a name, we got a bunch of other suggestions. But still, the 49ers future name did feel it felt like the right call, given that this is a podcast created for and by the community of 49er fans over at footballsfuture.com. So if you found our podcast and aren't a part of the community, we ask that you would come join us. Uh, you know, we have a lot of knowledgeable fans over there that love discussing the 49ers. If that sounds like your thing, um, come find us at footballsfuture.com. Also, you can find us on Twitter and just, you know, keep updated on the new episodes of the podcast and the all the latest happenings for 49ers Future. Just search for 49ers Future and thanks for following. Once again, I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, Y2 Lamanaki. Forge, my normal co-host, is not joining us this week. He's fled the country, um, trying to escape the legions of podcast fans, requesting his autograph as my best guess. But however, I won't be alone. Joining me this week is another member of our forum, the artist formerly known as Niner Fan for Life, now going by N4L. Welcome to 49ers Future. Thank you, Y2. Glad to be here. Hello, everybody out there. Been a been a long time posting on this forum back on the old site, and uh, it's pretty cool what you and Forge have started. So I'm happy to carry the torch this week as a fill-in. We we tried to do this opening once before the second run through, um, and you had mentioned you know how long it's been, and yeah, a, a lot of us have been 13, 14 years on that forum. Yeah, it's been a long time. A lot of back and forth, a lot of uh, good old Alex Smith discussions back in the day. <laughs> uh, Always yeah, a, a little tenuous back then, but you know I think everybody's on the same page. I think we all just want to win at this point. So, you know I think yeah. it's a, it's a really good community on there for sure, and it's definitely the best place to talk Niner ball. Absolutely. Um, I'd also like to point out that N4L makes for the perfect guest for the week. Not only were you the one who suggested the name 49ers Future for the podcast, among you know a litany of others, but I don't know if you realize this, you're the one who actually planted the idea in our head to have a podcast in general. So anyone listening can basically thank you for giving them something to do. Or or you can blame me for it, one of the one of the two, I guess. I don't actually remember that, but absolutely sounds like something I would do. I'm still it a fan of the mods funny. hodgepodge name personally, but you know, 49ers future I think is uh, got a nice ring to it. Yeah, if somebody searches 49ers, I think that's more likely to come up on with that other than uh, the mod hodgepodge, but it was a it was a good name. I'll, I'll give it that. It was great. So getting into things this week, we're going to recap the week that was for the 49ers. Of course, that includes the preseason game, which as of recording uh, occurred just last night against the Broncos. But in reality, it actually starts a little bit earlier than that. Early in the week, there was an infamous practice where Jimmy Garoppolo threw five interceptions on five straight pass attempts. Couldn't seem to get out of that slump in that practice, which by most accounts was the the first time that really happened in training camp that he was throwing a lot of picks. Little did we know this would wind up setting the tone for the preseason game against the Broncos. After that practice, he had the chance to have better days in the next sets of practices, two joint practices with the Broncos, which the team you know, probably holds in higher regard than the preseason game. But from practice reports, appeared that Garoppolo fared better in those. Hard not to improve, of course, from five interceptions on five passes. Leading to the game last night, what do you think were the, the biggest stories from the, the final week of open training camp? What did you hear? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously the Garoppolo five interceptions was making its rounds on Twitter. You know, I think um, 
you know, everybody sort of panicking. There's a lot of doubters out there that, you know, keep talking about the small sample size. I'm sure every man out there is tired of hearing about the small sample size. So I'm sure it's kind of wearing on them a little bit here. But, you know, it's so, so tough to say without seeing any of the footage about those. You know, I mean, there's often times where an offensive and defensive coordinator will kind of come together and call the perfect defense for the offense's play just to kind of see how guys will react when things go poorly. So we really have no context for those five passes at all. Uh, can really make it sort of a challenge. You know, we live in such a headline culture now that, you know, people see that and they just immediately freak out. Obviously, it was a little bit more concerning given how the game went. But, um, you know, I, I don't th- really think that that particular instance was of any concern. Um, you know, I saw some video of the practices, I think, you know, the ball was coming out of Jimmy's hand a lot better than it was on Monday night. Um, so I think it was just sort of a confidence thing because, you know, I think he had a nice rebound for those two days. And obviously, you know, the, the main thing with this team is always no injuries. So anytime we can have some live hitting drills with another team come out healthy, I think that's obviously great news. So, you know, I think it was an overall good couple of weeks of practice I think that one thing that I'll say that I've sort of noticed with our secondary and this kind of ties back in with the five picks is that they have really been attacking the ball I mean last night you know you saw it a couple of times where guys were really making plays on the ball especially our corners you know even Dante Johnson had you know one or two pass deflections where you know he was right on the guy so you know I think that that is, you know, it's always one of those things when the offense has a good day, it means the defense had a bad day and vice versa. So, you know, it's a tough balancing act, kind of the cat and mouse game. But I think overall, it's been a positive few weeks of practice. And I think, you know, the team is definitely rounding into form. So you had brought up an injury, the, you know, the fact that injuries are always a big story with us. And I think that was the really the bigger news of the week was the fact that Mike Person went down. Nothing serious, but it's an injury that's you know, it's not expected to keep him out long, but it, it really couldn't come at a worse time. With Weston Richburg, the starter center, is still recovering from offseason surgery. Ben Garland's already been needed to, to fill in a center, so we'll get to him a little bit later. But our other top interior backup, uh, Joshua Garnett, you know, he's also out with the injury. And our top backup swing tackle was lost for the season. So that means we relied on offensive lineman number nine, Najee Torin, to play with the, the starters and protect our nine-figure quarterback. So... Mike Person's injury was a huge indicator of the trouble that we were going to end up facing on offense last night, and also kind of the trouble that we're going to face on offense if we lose a lineman to injury during the regular season. Person, I, you know, I don't want to say he's great. I mean, last year was his best year ever by some accounts, and, you know, that was still really just above average play. It also means if he goes down, things can get, you know, really ugly in a hurry. But what I do like is, you know, it's a next segue into the next uh, topic I want to talk is the team's being extremely cautious with injuries, extra careful with minor injuries so they don't lag throughout the year. You know, Brita immediately comes to mind as an example of this happening in 2018. We're just, we're being extra cautious with eliminating guys and holding guys out. And I kind of like it. I get it. To the average fan, preseason is boring. I, I mean, even to guys like, you know, you or I or Forge, where we love analyzing the roster from top to bottom, the preseason's tedious. So, I, I get that it makes the preseason games even less enjoyable when some of the top guys sit out, but limiting healthy guys who are going to get banged up a lot in the regular season is smart. So I really love the you know the choice of limiting guys like Buckner or Warner or Alexander in game two. A little disappointed because I haven't got a chance to see the true first string defense yet, just because it's a 
it's a unit that's going to be fun to watch in 2019. But even then, we're not going to see that until Bosa plays his first game. So for now, you know, limit those starters who have the positions locked up and uh, are going to be involved in a lot of contact in the game's account. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's really encouraging, too, with our defense looking as good as they have these past two games, you know, from top to bottom, start to finish. I think that, you know, especially the D-line really has asserted itself. And that's, you know, obviously one of the deepest positional groups we have on our team. Um, So there's really no need to give guys like Buckner that much of a look because there's really not a whole lot for him to work on necessarily other than maybe his conditioning uh, right now. And so I don't think that it's to anyone's benefit to see any of those guys get dinged up at all, even even with the depth that we have. But even without those guys, Fred Warner's another guy. Obviously, K1 hasn't played yet. Um, you know, our linebackers actually have been a nice, pleasant surprise for me. Um, Aziz has looked really good. You know, I like the way he comes downhill. He's been diagnosing plays really well. Even Greenlaw, I think, has had some really nice plays. He seems really solid all-around player. And then uh, even 59, you know, he's uh, he's been he's been around the ball a lot too. So it's definitely been encouraging, even without the guys that we don't have out there right now, to um, you know still be asserting their dominance. You know, we basically didn't give up a touchdown last night, and same thing with the in the Cowboys game. I mean, it was you know the defense really was lights out from start to finish I thought you know given that it's preseason and you know you're not doing a whole lot of film review I don't think so yeah it's been a very encouraging so far and like I said I think our guys have a little bit more bite to them I think it's you know we have uh, just just a different feel on defense I mean last year so many times just all the miscommunication on the back end and just the no pass rush at all I mean we were getting pressure last night from multiple guys at different points in the game from inside and from the outside. So it was definitely great to see given the guys that we have out knowing that we're going to have them coming back. Definitely. Yeah. I'm very impressed with uh, the depth at a lot of those position groups. Yeah. And we're talking, you know, the starting defensive line as a whole was pretty much out all last game. Um, All the first two games, you know, we haven't seen any of them. The starting linebackers haven't played. It's great to see that even with them out, you know, the defense is still has that kind of fire to them this year. You're right. You know, they they look a lot different than they did coming back from last year. But the the one group where and this is just kind of you know repetitive because we just talked about it. The one group where we, we don't have that is the offensive line. You know, just the fact that they have we don't have that depth is where we can't afford to to have the injuries the most. And that seems like where we've got quite a bit of them. You know, the angst of the 49er faithful last night, it was absolutely palpable. Um, but across the Twitterverse, Jimmy Garoppolo has gotten raked over the coals. So let's talk about our next topic, the guy who did play, our starting quarterback. Finally back after nearly a year of missing games due to the ACL tear. You know, we have the face of our franchise back, Jimmy Garoppolo. And he played utterly spectacularly, obviously. So why would he play any differently? No, he didn't have a great game. Uh, he was in there for three very short series, completed only... One of six passes, and that completion went for zero yards. Through an INT, another was nearly picked. What went wrong last night? Yeah, it snowballed on him for sure. I won't sugarcoat it at all. It was a very, very poor performance. You know, he did not look comfortable at any point. Um, even on his dropbacks, I thought his footwork was very sloppy, uh, which is one thing that I was actually really surprised about because, you know, I've seen video of him dropping back and everything, and he looked like he was moving fine. But, you know, he did seem like as soon as people got near him that he was a little skittish and a little gun shy. I mean, he was never the type 
to need a big windup or anything like that. I'm shocked that, you know, he had two passes deflected um, because, you know, typically he's the kind of guy that will look down the gun of the barrel as, you know, someone's running right at him and he'll just flip the ball away. Seemingly perfect pass. You know, he was doing it time and time again, especially a couple of years ago, Jacksonville game when Calais Campbell was all over him and yet he still completed a pass over the middle. That play in particular comes to mind and it seemed like it was the opposite. It seemed like he was hurrying the ball he was rushing he was not comfortable it was slow the ball came out with no zip on it when it did come out uh, obviously you know that one play I'm more concerned about the play the dropped interception than I am about the actual interception that he threw because he stared that guy down he was really slow and then he delivered the ball not even to the outside you know he should have seen the guy breaking on the inside and delivered the ball to the outside and maybe had the receiver be able to turn up field, but instead he threw it inside on the defender side. So I think it just really snowballed on him. I think the zero yards was generous. I think Burita lost a yard on that play. You know, I, I, I'm concerned, definitely. You know, it, you, anyone that says they're not concerned at all is lying to themselves or maybe a little naive. If he doesn't bounce back next week, then I will be a little bit more concerned than I am now. You know, I think that it was... Uh, it was a poor performance. You know, it was unfortunate it had to happen Monday night football with everyone watching. You know, it, it, people out there seem to think that somehow this means he's terrible and that we need to move on from him and that sort of thing. And I think those are all overblown. I think it's somewhere more in the middle. It was a bad one bad night in a preseason game. And if, you know, he comes back next week and puts together a couple of good drives and a full, has the full half, I think, you know, this will all be forgotten. So, it's just a matter of getting the confidence back. I mean, he did get taken to the ground once or twice. And one thing, you know, going back to the O-line, I mean, the miscommunication was there. You know, Staley obviously let Chubb come free, which, you know, that that can't happen. You know, that cannot happen. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I think Jimmy came back. We had um, or Zane Beatles or whatever that guy's. <laughs> yeah, Zane uh, being our right tackle. You know, he was a horrible guard center type that you know, was playing tackle. So Garoppolo's shown he can play with a bad O-line. I think that's why a lot of people sort of overlook that, um, that need for our team, that interior depth. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that hopefully this is a driving force for him. Hopefully he realizes that, you know, he had a bad game and takes the necessary steps to fix it. And hopefully he comes out hungrier and ultimately a better quarterback because of it. I mean, there's no no other way to get past this other than to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and get on to next week. I mean, that's the beauty of pro sports. There's always next week. So um, the games don't count, and hopefully he learns from it and will come out a little bit uh, sharper next time around. So I don't want to say that uh, I'm unconcerned, because that wouldn't be true, but I, I wouldn't say I'm concerned either. I know you said it, like, if you don't think it's a, a little bit... I, to me, I saw a poor version of what I expected to see. I, I saw a rusty quarterback in his first game back from a major injury, missing two starting offensive linemen, his two favorite weapons, and having no game plan because it's preseason. I kind of expected it to be not great, not a great start. I mean, I didn't expect it to be as bad as it was. And that's why I said I won't say, you know, I'm unconcerned because it was. It was a, it was bad play, but it was 10 plays. I mean, that's that's what he was in for a grand total of. Some of them were running, but it was just 10 plays, his first 10 plays in 11 months. So to me, it's it's just one bad preseason game. 
it, the the last couple of podcasts, uh, you know, we've brought up the 2011 Niners as a comparison. And if you remember that that preseason, we had that one that that Saints game. Uh, you know, it was the first game where Alex was in in 2011. It, it was the first game after the lockout, and and they just beat the crap out of us. Um, Alex was two for seven, ten yards, um, had a turnover, and and everybody just went off the deep end. You know, we had we didn't know what was going to happen with Harbaugh at the time. It it didn't look it didn't look like it was going to be promising, but it was preseason. In the end, that didn't matter. Plus, to me, missing the two starters in front of him is is what had a huge impact on that performance. So you mentioned the one play, the interception, where Bradley Ch- Chubb comes in virtually untouched. Garoppolo had to throw it in a hurry. It wasn't a good throw. You know, he's not absolved, but it was rushed. It looked like Staley expected a stunt where where Tomlinson would pick up Chubb and the outside linebacker would blitz around the edge because Chubb did cut inside and he let him go. The outside linebacker, I, you know, I don't know who it is on the Broncos, but his, his first motion is actually directly to the line on that play, but then he drops to cover Brita. And actually he would have been beat for a huge gain if Garoppolo had some more time to, to get it to him. So Staley, you know, he was expecting the linebacker to blitz first, ends up blocking nobody. I don't know exactly you know, what was supposed to happen or what did happen with the communication, but that's a line call that ended up getting botched. On the line call, you know, that's that's on Garland. Uh, he wouldn't be in there if, you know, Jimmy had his starter and if Jimmy had Richburg. So I think that, you know, played a good role. And then on that pass that should have been intercepted, Staley actually ends up getting shoved backward by Chubb and ends up stepping on Garoppolo's leg. So I, there was a close-up of that, that play. And, you know, like you, I had thought that Garoppolo was struggling, just looked antsy. Um, but I think this was one of the plays where it really looked like that. And if you look closely, it's because he had a, an offensive tackle on his leg, the one that he was using to, to drive and create arm power as he was throwing. So again, you know, it's not it wasn't a great decision either way on Garoppolo's part. I don't want to absolve him for it. But if Staley holds better, he might have the strength to put that ball where he wants to because he'll have, you know, the ability to drive off. So yeah, whether or not would have been completed if it made matters worse. I don't know, but it happened. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think what you're saying, too, is it's a comfort thing. So, you know, if he doesn't have, you know, his his guys in front of him and he's not comfortable, you know, under the bright lights, I think that, you know, all attributed to the bad night, undoubtedly. So, you know, having having guys that you trust can help you feel more comfortable, even if the guys that are in there, if you don't have the same trust in them, even if they perform okay, you're still somewhat antsy about it because, you know, you, you think that you're going to get hit. So even if, you know, the guys that are the replacement players are playing okay, if he doesn't trust them, then, you know, he's getting off on the wrong foot right away. So, you know, I think it all, it was a culmination of factors. And again, it was unfortunate that it had to happen on Monday night football, but, you know, it's one of those things that hopefully people can kind of sleep on him a little bit more and, Maybe that'll be to our benefit down the road. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that wouldn't be a bad advantage to have, would it? I, I, I mean, I just think in the end, it's just one preseason game. I agree with you. He struggled, obviously. But, you know, we can all cool down. It, he'll, get a, he'll get a lot more action this upcoming week, and we'll get a much better picture, I think, of, of where he truly is. He might yeah, not still absolutely. be. absolutely. And it's the, you know, the fact, I've said this before, but the fact that it's in Kansas City, which is obviously the place that he tore his ACL, I think, you know, just from a mental standpoint, I think it'll kind of provide closure if he can play a half, you know, maybe take a hit or two, 
Um, nothing crazy, but if he can have success, get the confidence going, because obviously he had a poor first half against Kansas City last year. I mean, the offense wasn't really moving the ball, and that second half really was where it felt like he had found his mojo again. You know, he was dropping his arm angle. You know, he was flipping the ball out. Uh, you know, the offense was moving up and down the field. It really felt like, you know, we may have not had enough time to make the full comeback, but it really felt like we had a, a chance to come back in that game. So I think if he can get back on that field, you know, the same area of the field that he tore his ACL on, have confidence, you know, have a good game, I think it'll sort of put this all all in the rearview mirror. Couldn't agree more. But anyway, that's enough for Garoppolo for now. You know, we know that the, the passing offense struggled last night, but the starting room game didn't look so bad. Um, actually looked solid in limited action. We got to see Tevin Coleman for the first time in a 49ers uniform. Looked good. He looked good as a whole on his three carries. Throughout the night, the, the run game really actually seemed to be the only thing that, that looked like it was actually working. What did you see in the run game? What did you like? Yeah, absolutely. Tevin Coleman obviously has experience in this scheme, in the blocking scheme. I thought he was doing a pretty good job of finding the crease and hitting the hole hard. Uh, it looks like he's added a couple of pounds of muscles. Frame looks pretty good. Um, you know, that was one thing when we signed him, I was kind of concerned that we didn't really have a true power back, true goal line back. Um, you know, he just seemed kind of like an uninspiring signing, but he's actually a very solid player. I mean, last year he had some mixed, mixed games where, you know, he would have a lot of carries and not a lot of yards as the lead guy there in Atlanta. And they were sort of searching, you know, they utilized Ito Smith a fair amount. who's not that great of a runner, but I liked what I saw last night with Coleman. I liked the push that we were getting up front for sure. Um, Raheem Mostert had a nice game. I thought nice rebound for sure. He's obviously got some good speed. Um, it looked like he was doing a better job of keeping the ball. Um, you know, he may have changed up the way he was holding the ball. I think he was holding a little higher and tighter. So, you know, really liked what I saw from Coleman last night, um, you know, just finding the crease um, sort of, you know, in the, you know, four hole off of the side. It was uh, it was definitely great to see. Raheem Mostert uh, was the guy who really stood out in that game. You know, I mean, obviously he was the one who led the offense on either side of the football with 100 yards from scrimmage. But I, I saw the same thing you did. I saw that he was carrying the ball higher. He's, he was covering it up when he was coming to get hit, which was Good to see because that, I mean, other than the injuries, that was his biggest knock was that he fumbled a lot. But I love Mostert. He was always going to make the roster because of his special team skills alone. But he really looked, you know, he looks like a legitimate offensive weapon when he's gotten out there to play. Ever since, you know, last year, he looked that way um, in 2018 when he got to play before the before the forearm injury. So he was always going to be active because of special teams. It's just an awesome benefit to have guys like him who can also have have a role, get out there and, and get a few carries a game because he's already going to be active. So he can keep our keep our other backs fresh just so long as, again, you know, he can stay healthy because ironically we are talking about a guy who's had two season-ending injuries in a row. Liked the, liked the rush game. Tevin Coleman looked good. I like him as an addition to this team. I think he's going to fill that role that McKinnon was supposed to have last year, um, and I think he's going to do it really well. I, I look forward to, to seeing him. Um, we'll get down... We'll talk more about the, the backs a little bit later. Meanwhile, defensive side of the ball, uh, we haven't gotten there yet. Last night, review. Even without a lot of players, they did pretty well, I thought, as a, as a whole. Who stood out to you on the defensive side? It's got to be Solomon Thomas. I mean, that guy had a really, really good game. He looked explosive. He was firing off the ball. He looked like an absolute menace out there. He was dropping down into a four-point stance, getting extremely low, firing off the ball. 
getting his hands under the other guy's pads and really controlling where the offensive lineman went. Uh, there was one play early in the first quarter where Philip Lindsay tried to go to the outside and Buckner just completely drove the tackle back. And as soon as it looked like Lindsay wanted to get around him, Buckner just pushed him with his right hand and turned the tackle so that his back was facing Lindsay and it made Lindsay cut it up in the middle and that allowed Tart to come in and clean it up and it was a big tackle for a loss. So he had a really nice night, even though it was on the edge. I mean, obviously everybody wants him to be inside rushing the passer. He didn't really get a lot of looks inside. Hopefully when, you know, we get our two edge rushers back uh, that, you know, he'll be inside, but he looked really explosive. He looked hungry. He looked fierce and uh, it was really encouraging to see. I think that was, you know, he flashed on almost every single play that he was in there. So that was fantastic to see. Yeah, Thomas did look good. Um, he did, while he didn't get a lot of snaps from the inside, he, he looked, I mean, far better there. He had, uh, I think we've registered two quarterback pressures um, from the inside, which was, you know, it's great because I think that's where he's going to end up seeing the most time with, of course, Bosa and Ford taking up most of the, the edge, edge rushing responsibilities when we get to the, the regular season. A couple guys who stood out for me, Jaquaski Tart, he looked really good last night. And then, yeah. of course, he left, the game with, he left the game with an injury again, which is the problem with half the team that we're going to always sound like a broken record with with all of that. But before that, he was all over the place, had some big tackles, had a, a couple nice tackles for loss. I mean, he always looks good in the box. I love watching him in, in run defense. It's so nice to see. Contavious Street, uh, another guy who was really active last night had a, a um, one and a half sacks. Was all over, all over the ball. Ta- I think he racked up something like seven or eight tackles. I said last week. I think he's going to make the make the team keep ten defensive linemen, um, especially since three of the other nine might not be back next year. So I think at this point he's he's almost solidified as a guy that they're going to keep. If he's if he's healthy, you have to. Um, he looks he looks really good. Yeah, he does look good, and you know I hated the pick at the time just because I was so tired of taking guys with torn ACLs. But you know you just look at him; he's got the physical presence. I mean, he just has the build of an NFL defensive lineman, that's for sure. So, you know, he definitely had a nice game. I thought DJ Reed was another guy that uh, had a pretty nice game overall. He was around the ball a fair amount. Um, you know, he made some nice tackles, and I also think that. Dante Johnson had a solid game, too. I mentioned it earlier, but, you know, I think he had two pass deflections and, you know, he was always around his guy. There was, you know, a couple of years ago, he would leave guys wide open, just completely miss his assignment. But it seems like he's hungrier. It seems like he's done a lot of work to his body as well. So, you know, I thought he had a nice game. I'll talk about DJ Reed a little bit later. But um, the other guy that I, I wanted to mention uh, was Jeremiah Bologa. I mentioned him in the the game day thread, and I you know I sent out a couple tweets about him. But he's a guy that's really impressed me in the preseason. I, I mean, granted, it is against the backups, and you always have to take that with a grain of salt. He's you know he's still a guy who's only been with the team in a short while, less less than two weeks. Uh, he was signed right before last week's game, but in that time he's had two and a half sacks. Always appears in the backfield, racked up a you know just a ton of tackles and assisted tackles. I think. I think he's he still has practice squad eligibility, if I remember correctly. I think he's only played um, in one one season, so we would only have one accrued. So yep. I I kind of hope we're, we we might be able to stash him, you know, because like I said, we're, we're gonna we might lose three defensive linemen next year. But I think some other team might end up buying him up and putting him on the the 53 on on cut down day. 
Yeah, they might. I mean, he's 6'6", 275, so he's got the size that, you know, you look for, that we look for, I guess. I mean, we must have one of the tallest defensive lines in the NFL, you know, with Julian Taylor, even, who's 6'5", as well. So, you know, he definitely fits the mold of what we look for, and, I, you know, he's had a great motor every time he's on the field, you know, he's making plays. So it's really hard to knock a guy for that. So we talked a little bit about, uh, you know, players who had a good game. Who stood out for the wrong reason, other than Garoppolo? So we know we've talked a lot about him. So which, which player do you think outside of him had the had a rough game? Yeah, you know, I think it was overall it was a pretty clean game for our team. I mean, the, the defense played well start to finish. There was no penalties, really. You know, we had one turnover at the end. That didn't really matter. Um, so, you know, it's really hard for me to say. I mean, I, I think Staley got beat a couple of times, but probably just in school. Um, you know, he had a couple of false starts, and I think he also had, you know, gave up a sack. Um, so it's probably, it's got to be somebody on that O-line, if not just the O-line in general, when they're pass blocking. But, you know, I didn't, there wasn't really any one particular player that I said, you know, get this guy off the field, he can't play, sort of thing. So that was encouraging from where I'm sitting, at least. So yeah, Joe Staley, uh, he was unusually rusty, but I'm not really concerned about him. Actually, you mentioned him as a guy who played well. Um, you know, the guy who stood out to me as having a rough day was actually DJ Reed. Um, so it's interesting that you had seen more of the good side. But to me, I, I mean, I, I look at him as he was getting picked on um, all evening, gave up a few first downs. Uh, he was actually responsible for the the big pass that ultimately came back due to, to penalty. But those those first down throws were so simple to see coming. I, I looked at Reed where he was lined up and I was immediately able to say, you know, these are going to be two short, two short slants. I think it was back to back thirds downs in a row. And he just seemed shocked by them. I, I, if everybody was healthy in the defense backfield, I think he's, he would be in a real battle for a spot on the 53-man squad. I, I think he still might be. Um, but he was the guy that I thought, if anybody, you know, was showing up for the wrong reasons, it was him. And I agree. Otherwise, it was, it was relatively solid. You know, the quarterbacks didn't really give a whole lot to, to work with. Beathard didn't do much while he was in. So we didn't get to see a lot of the offense other than the, the run game. And the defense played, played really well. It's hard to, to fault anybody about any of that. So, yeah, I think D- DJ Reed. Oh, sorry. I think DJ Reed had that one uh, pass interference call too, and maybe the reason why you know he stuck out to me was that he was always around the ball because they were always throwing at him. So you know I, your assessment's probably accurate. Well, we'll see. I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the the defensive backs later, so we'll we'll go more into that in a little bit. Anyway, I wanna I want to start getting into the the review of the rookies so that way we can talk about them and. I want to start with our Rookie of the Year candidate, of course, talking about Mitch Wisnowski, the thunder from down under. And I almost convinced myself to to try an Australian accent there, but I, I don't want to offend anybody. But uh, Mitch Wisnowski is just a he he is just a joy to behold. His punts are are already awesome. But the the fact that he was able to run down the field after kicking off and blast a kick returner inside the 25-yard line is one of the coolest things that a punter has ever done. So I, I personally, in my opinion, nobody is ever allowed to complain about drafting a punter ever again. I'm, I'm completely doing a 180 on my stand to never draft a punter because if Mitch Wisnowski is available, you have to draft him. Clearly, we're watching a living legend. How about it? How about that hit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that definitely gets the juices flowing anytime you see, you know, a punter or a kicker make that type of hit. But I agree with you. He ran down the field and made it right away. I mean, the players love it. It's the type of 
type of hit that makes the whole team get that little extra kick of energy. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Obviously, you know, his background, you know, tackling is not something new for him. Uh, so that's fantastic. It was great to see. You know, I thought it was um, he had some nice punts for sure. I think there was one punt might have been his second punt. He got a lot of action last night. But I think his second punt when he dropped the ball, I think he dropped it a little bit early. I think the timing of it, he's still adjusting to making pro style kicks. I think in college a lot he would make the, the rugby style kick, which obviously is not going to fly in the NFL. So, you know, I think that he had a couple of kicks that he could clean up. Um, you know, the ball didn't fly quite as far as I was hoping, given that it was mile high. Um, but absolutely, I think there's a lot of positive signs there. And it's just with him, again, it's a matter of comfort. You know, it's going back to the grapple thing. If you're not comfortable, you're not going to play well. And I think that the more reps he gets, the more comfortable he's going to get. And I think that uh, the sky's the limit for this kid. He's got leg talent. And uh, I like the size and the moxie. And I think the team rallies around him, too, which is always nice to see. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see, especially when we're talking about it being a punter. My favorite part about the, the hit was that the uh, the 49ers franchise Twitter actually uh, reached out to EA Sports to let them know that his uh, his tackle rating wasn't good enough. And <laughs> EA Sports turned around and, and they actually upped his hit power by 20 points. So <laughs> I love it. Love that. Uh, Wisnowski's going to be... He's going to be so much fun to watch this year. It's it's going to be weird, you know, being excited for punt plays because those are always the most disappointing. But this year will be a little fun. So uh, outside of that, uh, let's talk about the rookies. Who do you, who do you think stood out? Who stood out for good reasons? Yeah, I mean, Debo Samuel obviously had that that end around, um, and they they put up the miles per hour on that, uh, and he got up basically to 20 miles an hour, which I think. They also talked about how Breida last year had the fastest run in the NFL at 22 miles an hour to kind of give you a little perspective. So, you know, that was really nice. It would have been nice, obviously, if he got in in the end zone, but that was certainly one of the highlights of the game for sure. So that was definitely nice to see. Um, you know, I think Caden Smith had had a nice catch towards the sideline. I believe it was on a third down as well. That was a nice catch. Um, so definitely positive improvement. I mean, Jalen Hurd didn't really play very much and I think he only had eight snaps so you know Debo had a a little bit of a longer look than Hurd did and I think he had a nice game. I I was excited to to see that big Debo run because one of the things that I've been saying this team needs is a a second superstar next to Kittle. Um, You know Kittle's great but he's a tight end you know we need another weapon that can that can really stand out in the passing game and to see Samuel have that kind of Big playability is is something that I I am super excited about. I, I can't wait to see more of it. Disappointed that Jalen Hurd was only in for eight snaps. I I would love to see those two play a lot next week, um, especially early in the game. I want to see them with Garoppolo and see you know how their you know how their chemistry is is building up. But it was just a it was a quiet game overall, so it's hard to pick too many of the the rookies. Caden Smith that was a it was a great third down catch. It was third and long at that, which was nice. He had 15. He got 15 yards. I think he needed 12 on the play. So it was nice to see him you know, have the awareness of the depth that he needed to get on the on the pattern. Looks like he's going to have a good chance to be there as the third the third receiver holding up the blocking tight end role to start the season, especially with Toilolo not playing last night due to due to injury and you know being a little nicked up. So that said, uh, any any rookie stand out for the wrong reason? 
Yeah, it had to be Justin School. I mean, he got he got schooled, pun intended, uh, by Chubb on a couple of plays for sure. Um, you know, I think he had one or two false starts as well. You know, it wasn't horrible, um, but definitely didn't shine in, from what I saw. I mean, you know, um, anytime you notice a tackle as often as I did, it's never a good sign. You know, so I think he had, you know, a little bit of a rough game as well. Yeah, I mean, he was the only rookie that I saw that that wasn't doing great things while he was in there. I don't think it was terrible, but he's somebody that I he's going to need some time if he's if he's going to develop at all. So I don't I don't really think he's a guy that's going to be a candidate for the roster in the end. I think he's going to probably see the practice squad and probably probably easily escape. At least that's my view through through two games there. Yeah, I would agree with you, and it's really unfortunate that Coleman went out because the, you know the backup tackle spot is is just so thin. Um, it would be nice if he could, you know, make the roster and and be a contributor at some point. But, you know, it just uh, it it seems like he needs some work. But, you know, he's got the physical tools. Um, you know, he's a big guy. You know, he moves pretty well um, overall. He just needs to continue to work. So getting into the the roster battles, now that we've, you know, we've talked a little bit about the rookies, it was a you know mostly quiet night other than the big Debo, Debo play. But Let's start with the, the backup quarterback battle. So once again, this is something that we reviewed last week. Um, after giving Mullins the you know the start last week, we knew Beathard was going to get in early this week and have his chance before Mullins. So watching the game, what do you think? Did anything change last night in the backup quarterback battle? Not at all for me. I mean, I think we know who these guys are right now. I mean, Beathard uh, has a little bit better physical tools, but he does everything slow. I mean, he moves slow. He reads the ball slow throws the ball slow, you know, I mean, the first two passing plays that he was in, he dropped back and just stood there, and I'm screaming at him to throw the ball away, you know, so I think he kind of cleaned it up a little bit, especially, you know, after the first drive, I think he was being a little bit quicker with his decisions, and he was throwing the ball, you know, along the sideline pretty well, he was driving the ball and throwing it, I think the reason that they're giving him such a good look, and I think part of the reason that, you know, Shanahan keeps talking about how it's an open competition and that neither guys really cemented themselves is because I think that they want to trade Beathard to somebody. I think that that's ultimately their goal is to get a pick back for him. So I think they're trying to really showcase him and make him look good, which is why I think he kind of came in first last night, being that it's a Monday night game, to kind of give him a little bit of a showcase. And I thought he played pretty well for the most part um, after that first series. You know, I think he got some help from guys like Mostert, um, you know, when he threw that that screen pass to him and Mostert, you know, got some nice yards after the catch. I think that, you know, made his stats look pretty good. And But there were some times where he made some nice throws. I mean, that, that pass that he made to Kendrick Bourne couldn't have been better. I mean, it dropped it right in the thread basket, right perfectly in stride, and it, you know, traveled 55, 60 yards in the air, I think. Should have been a no-datter touchdown, honestly, but Bourne – kind of stumbled and then dropped the ball. So, and, and Nick Mullins, I mean, he had that really nice fade route. Um, he is who we know he is right now. He's limited physically, but just sort of the perfect backup quarterback, and he's cheap. Um, you know, he's making the minimum. So I think he would be the guy that we would call to in the regular season if we had to. I think he's the guy that we would prefer to just keep on the roster. I don't think that, uh, you know, I mean, with Garoppolo, obviously has a little bit of an injury history. And so, you know, we may want to keep three quarterbacks either way. But that's sort of what my instinct is telling me is that they're trying to showcase Beathard 
to you know get a pick out of them. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, especially with with it being the Broncos and of course um, Scandarello being the the offensive coordinator over there. I think last night was a was a good opportunity for him to get out and get a lot of action in in a preseason game and in, in front of a you know a team that might have some interest. I mean, I know they already have Locke and and Flacco on that team, but if if anybody he that's a team that sticks out. Maybe the Jaguars. I know Forge has brought him up a couple times. I actually joked earlier that Forge uh, left the country fleeing autograph seekers, but really he might have fled the country because, I mean, last week he got passionate about how uh, how this should not be a competition. That was that was fun to listen to. Uh, he might have just <laughs> he might have just did the sweet and blow his top. Uh, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> Mullins is just uh, he's always played better between he and Beathard. Dating back to the, the preseason last year, he, when he gets in, he just he seems to move the offense better. So. The things Beathard does wrong, he still, to me, hasn't even seemed to figure out in the in the preseason. He still holds on to the ball a little longer than he needs to, takes hits that he shouldn't. And, yep. Uh, meanwhile, you know, the offense calmly moves moves the ball when when Mullins is out there. So to me, it's a no-brainer. Mullins is the backup. But um, I guess it's a it's a question I'll ask, even though I know what the answer is. I know what you'll say because I know what I'd say. Could could Mullins compete to start? You know, I think Mullins could be a starter in the in the league, but I don't think he's going to get the nod over Garoppolo. I mean, I think that they're going to just put Garoppolo out there. But I feel confident in any game that Mullins has that we could win on that, that particular day. I mean, I really do. He's a good distributor of the football. He's basically, you know, plays the point guard. Uh, he gets the ball out on time. He lets guys run after the catch. He operates within the offense. And, you know, he's got uh, he's got some moxie. He's not afraid of any moment. There's nothing that you can throw at him that he hasn't seen or prepared for. So I think he is a viable player. I mean, he really is. If he had, you know, a little bit of a stronger arm, he probably would have gotten drafted or he would have, you know, be getting a little bit more of a look over CJ right now. But yeah, I I think if, if Garoppolo goes down, given what we saw last year, given everything we've seen in the off season and what we've heard, I believe that Nick Mullins could lead this team to some nice victories. So I'm going to move along to the to the next spot on the roster I want to talk about. I want to go to the the halfbacks position. Um, overall at running back, you know we're going to we're going to keep about five, probably. You know we have Jet, who is the biggest question mark in there. But otherwise, of course, Uzcheck's going to make the team. Coleman's going to start. Brita's he's not going anywhere. And most special teams player. So what do you think? Do we do we keep all five of them? Another option does do they put McKinnon on on injured reserve to start the year? Yeah, absolutely. I think they have to put McKinnon on IR. I think, you know, given what you said earlier, the amount of D linemen that we're going to keep, I think we're not going to cut one of them to keep a guy who hasn't practiced or played in a long time. So I think that's really the only option is put him on IR and maybe he spends the whole year there. I don't know. I mean, they said in the broadcast last night that he had a significant setback and that he's nowhere close. That's what they said. So, you know, especially a guy that, you know, he's made his living off of his physical abilities, you know, the 99 spark score, um, you know, he's really never been a natural runner. I mean, I used to always talk about this. There's athletes that play football, a guy like Vernon Davis, for example, and then there's football players who happen to be athletes. I mean, Frank Gore is an example of that guy was a football player. You know, he's got the vision, he's got the patience, he sets up his blocks, he knows when to cut. You know, and I, I've never seen that from McKinnon. I think even, you know, when he had his big moments in Minnesota, it was that he had space to run and he's got the explosiveness to, to hit the hole hard. But, you know, I don't think he's the kind of guy 
that could get away with not having uh, supreme physical abilities. So the fact that, you know, he's not ready, you have to wonder also just the mental side of it, what that, what this kind of does to a guy wears on him. I mean, it, it can be, you know, a challenge to get back physically. And when you're not there physically, you're not there mentally either. So I don't think that they really have a choice. I think they need to put him on IR and uh, he may never even play a snap for us. So, you know, running back is a position that, you know, we have some guys that can carry the load, but obviously Brita's had some injury problems. Mostert's had some injuries in the past, you know, and I don't think Tevin Coleman showed, or I think he showed last year that you can't, can't rely on him to be, you know, your every down, every down running back because he really didn't look that great for Atlanta in that role last year. I think he's a guy that needs, needs the timeshare. So, you know, I'm hoping that everybody can stay healthy, the guys that we have, and that, you know, Jet can maybe fill in later on in the year if necessary. But I'm sort of anticipating that he won't even play a snap for us in his Niner career, as crazy as that sounds. So I I have to agree with you that I think putting McKinnon on injured reserve is, is definitely the right way to, to start the year, at the, at the very least. So with Coleman, Breida, and Mostert, we, we know what they can do. They're, they're all good backs. If that was the only three that we ended up carrying all year. I don't think any of us would be even remotely disappointed in the depth we have in the backfield, you know, so long as all of them, as always, can stay healthy. So I, I think McKinnon on injured reserve is the best way to go. Uh, we just don't need him right away, if, especially if he's not healthy. So if he's having the, the flare-ups and, you know, like they said in the broadcast last night, that it's not looking good, just sit him until the middle of the year. See if you need him then. You know, because we don't really need him on the roster to begin. He's not going to contribute much, at least until after the bye week at this point. So why keep him active? Save that roster spot for a player that we'd like to keep and evaluate more um, and see if, you know, we need him in week eight, week nine, whenever whenever he'd be eligible to return. See who the, you know, who's injured. Is is Brita suffering from nagging injuries again? Is Mostert still healthy? Did, did Coleman go down? See if... Uh, you know, see if we need a fresh back, a fresh set of legs when when he can get out there and feel comfortable. So I agree with you. I think it's ultimately going to I think he's going to end up on injured reserve. Whether or not he ever plays it down for us, that I don't know. I think that's going to depend largely on health. But if the, those three stay healthy, then, yeah, I, I don't think he will play it down for us because there's there's no reason to keep him. You know, we can get out of the contract after this year. I I think that's ultimately what's going to what's going to end up happening. But moving on, uh, I want to talk about the wide receiver position, because last night there was a there was a surprise to me. Anyway, Marquise Goodwin was the was the starter wide receiver. So we had heard all offseason how, you know, that was Dante Pettis's job now, that he was going to be the guy who was who was going to start at the Z position, um, that Goodwin was going to be more of a specialty role. And, you know, Goodwin was out there with the starters. So. What's what's up with that? Is that a message to to Pettis? Um, I don't I don't know if you started opposite Goodwin. I don't remember that much. But what do you think? What's going on there? Yeah, I don't think it was a message to Pettis at all. I think that the preseason's somewhat of a game of you know show and tell, where you you want to you don't want to show too much. And I think that you know Pettis, everyone's been talking about sort of the transformation from him, and I I think that they don't really want to unleash him yet. I think they have some very special plays and packages for him 
on how to get him open, maybe some some bunch sets where he's the guy in the back and kind of can get a free release because that's you know been one of his biggest problems with that slight frame is that you know when people get his their hands on him that you know he uh, that he lets them reroute his route. Um, so that's not good. But I think that's it's just a matter of they want to just keep him healthy, especially, you know, he's had two injuries last year. You know, um, there's just really no benefit to playing him in the preseason. So I, I don't think it was necessarily that, you know, I think Goodwin obviously has a lot of comfort with Garoppolo or Garoppolo has a lot of comfort with Goodwin, I should say. Um, you know, that was sort of his go to guy along with Trent Taylor uh, two years ago. So I think maybe it was just part of that, that they just wanted both of those guys to be on the field at the same time, um, more so than they believe that Pettis is like below Goodwin in the pecking order. Because Pettis didn't play very much. It's not like he came in with a second group or something. He just didn't really play, um, which kind of leads us to the, to the, you know, the lower part of the roster with, um, you know, Richie James being in a, in a battle here um you know he had some nice moments on the kick and punt returns you know i think when you look at the roster as a whole you know who exactly can return kicks and punts for us it seems like you know a lot of the guys have had some injury problems i mean trent taylor is a pretty reliable punt returner i think i always feel comfortable with him that he's going to at least catch the ball uh, that he's not going to muff it but you know he's battled injury and same thing with pettis you know if we're going to really rely on him like a number one, like they've been talking about, then you're not necessarily going to want to risk the injury back there, even though that is something that he's done. But even if he's not doing it, or if he's doing it, he's a, a guy that has had injury problems. So I think we need to kind of hedge our bets a little bit here. And I do think that they will find a spot for Richie James for that reason. So, you know, I don't think we'll keep seven wide receivers. So who do you think is going to be the odd man out? Well, right now I would have to say, I mean, the easy one to say is is got to be Matthews. I think the team would like to keep him. He's he's been playing in the the early part of the the game with the ones, which is interesting. But I I still he hasn't done anything to earn a spot, at least not via the preseason games. And just the guys that you know they're going to keep around. So obviously Debo's a lock, Jalen Hurd's a lock, Trent Taylor's not going anywhere, Marquise Goodwin's not going anywhere. We know that already. Pettis isn't going anywhere. So that's already five. I don't see how you can keep Matthews over Richie James because of the reasons you just brought up. Um, even though I thought Richie James was looking pretty down, um, you know, after week one, I think after week two, the the kick returns and having the two big returns there and, and not muffing any of the punts. I think that's, especially with Trent Taylor being, you know, down right now, I think that's going to make him the guy to look at for number six. So then to me, the real question is Kendrick Bourne. You said you don't think we keep seven, does that mean Bourne makes the cut or gets gets cut then? Does it mean he doesn't make the cut? I don't know. I mean, Bourne's a guy that was supposedly looked great in camp, um, but then in the, the two preseason games, he's been kind of up and down. He had the big drops and then um, also had the, you know, the amazing touchdown. It is such a tough call. This is this is really such a tough position to call. I, I, I I'm going to lean more towards they keep seven to start off. And then when Taylor's fully healthy, then I think they make the decision about, you know, who the who the guy to leave off is. Yeah, that would that would make a lot of sense. And I think, you know, one of the things this year was that I think Kyle specifically went out and tried to do was get, you know, bigger players. Um, and I think part of it was 
that Kendrick Bourne specifically had some time, some games last year where, you know, he's kind of slight in stature. And I think when he would get bodied up by some bigger corners that he didn't really have a way to get free or, you know, when he's covered, he's completely covered. He's a guy that has to be open to get the ball in his hands. Whereas, you know, I mean, when you look at a guy like Jalen Hurd or some of the other guys we've added this year, it's, you know, Matthews. I mean, he's a bigger guy. Even when they're covered, they can be open. You know, and I think that's part of the reasons we've had some struggles in the red zone is that, you know, Shanahan likes these smaller, shiftier type of wide receivers. But, you know, in the red zone, when there's not a lot of space, the guys aren't getting separation and it's hard to really score touchdowns. Really. So I think that, you know, Bourne is kind of an interesting test case just because, you know, like you said, he has been inconsistent. Um, that was even, you know, last year he was very inconsistent. You know, I, there was rumors that he was running the wrong routes at times. And, you know, obviously Kyle has a very detail oriented offense. And if you're not running the right route, you know, it can be frustrating for him. So I think that, uh, you know, he's he's on the bubble. And I think, you know, what happens on the defensive side of the ball will be, you know, equally as important for him as what happens at wide receiver, just because, you know, obviously it's a number game and, you know, I think you're right. Maybe they do keep seven initially and they just have somebody like Bourne that they cut and they sign and they cut and they sign throughout the whole year. Uh, like we've done with so many other players in the past. I'm sure if Forge was here, he could name off like six or seven of them in the last two years. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> So I think it's been uh, it's it's it'll be an interesting test case for sure to see, you know, what Kyle really thinks of the roster, because, you know, I think it, it was very telling this year, the amount of wide receivers we added that he didn't think that the guys we had last year were good enough. So it would make sense that Bourne would not make it just because, you know, it was we have Debo and we have Hurd and we have other guys now that, you know, make him expendable, essentially. Absolutely. So before we before we close out here, I want to just real quick talk about next week because next week is the the big third preseason game. It's the time when our our starters are going to play longer than they have this preseason. You know, we might see a few guys we haven't seen play yet, including Buckner, Warner, Alexander, supposed to get in for his first preseason action. What are what are you looking forward to in, in preseason game three? Yeah, obviously, you know, quarterback's the most posi- most important position. And given, you know, what happened, um, that's going to be the talk leading up to the game is how is Garoppolo going to handle, um, you know, the added pressure of, you know, the previous poor performance. But, um, you know, obviously that's number one. Uh, it would be nice to get, you know, the O-line looking like they are a cohesive unit because, you know, the guys that are in now are probably going to be the guys that are in week one. Um, you know, person or no person or Richburg or no Richburg. I mean, the guys that are there need to perform. So that's definitely going to be an area that I'm going to look at um, as well. And, you know, I think that we just talked about at the wide receiver battle, that's going to be, you know, decided in this game, I believe as well. So it'll be interesting to see that. I think, you know, I wonder how much the Chiefs play their guys. I mean, Mahomes, I don't know if he's going to get a half or not. I mean, I would think that he wouldn't I mean I don't see the benefit to Kansas City to play him that much um, but it'll be interesting to see I mean he torched us last year so that's definitely one area that you know I'll be watching yeah for me it's um it's the linebackers so I've I've been really excited this preseason for the development of Trey Greenlaw that's been a, a nice and pleasant surprise but 
That said, I, I'm excited to see Quan Alexander and Fred Warner in the game together. I think that can be a really, really dynamic linebacking duo. I think they can be really, really good. So I, I want to see them play. I want to see how the, the defense picks up a little bit because you would expect it to, to, to do that, even though they've played great through two preseason games so far. I just that extra energy is going to be fun to watch. Still won't be the the first string starting defense again. We're not going to see that until Bosa's back. Um, and I'm not sure if Ford will end up playing next week, but either way, the the linebacking core is it's going to be exciting. That said, Garoppolo and what he does in game three, how long he plays, uh, it's going to be incredibly important. He has nowhere to go but up. That's the, that's the one benefit of finishing with a zero quarterback rating is that you can only improve. Like he, he, he's not going to go what one for 11 with two interceptions. That's not going to be the case. So we'll see some improvement. I think the, I think the offense will end up looking fine, especially when we start game planning, but it'll be, it'll be nice to see. Yeah, no doubt about it. And hopefully we can get out of there, you know, again with no injuries. And, you know, one thing I will say about the improvement, you know, you want to see week by week improvement from your team around this time of the year. And last week, uh, you know, against the Cowboys, we had a lot of penalties, few turnovers this week, hardly any turnovers, less, you know, hardly any penalties. So be nice to kind of see a well executed game. You know, obviously they're not game planning a lot, but it's just, you know, where guys aren't missing assignments and, Nobody's, you know, making poor line calls and everybody gets blocked, you know, or play where the Chiefs blitz, you know, six guys and we pick it up. I mean, that sort of thing, I think, is uh, is nice to see. So hopefully they can keep continuing down that path. Absolutely. That's the dream there. Uh, A well-executed game. So that's the end of this week's podcast. I want to thank everyone so much for listening. Um, If you enjoyed, please make sure to to share it with any of your fellow 49er friends. Make sure to like us on Twitter, subscribe to the podcast, all of those fun things. It's a it's a big help, and we appreciate it. I want to thank my friend N. Farrell for joining me today. It was great having you here. Thanks for filling in for Forge. I appreciate it. My pleasure. It was a great time. Let's do it again. Yeah. I, I'm excited to do that. So that wraps it up. Um, thanks once again for making it to the end of a 49ers Future podcast. Take care, and we'll see you next week. Adios.